Good morning. Today's daf is daf yud. Today's shiur Ilu Nishmas Yoshua Yitzchak Ben Shol Ruven Halevi and Chaim Tzvi Ben Shmuel Meir. May the neshamas have an aliyah and may the memory be a blessing. Um, so we're continuing with the praise and the discussion behind rain, the value of rain, and now we're going to mention a dis- a, that Eretz Yisrael is different to other lands regarding rain and Hashem's Hashkoch uh, Hashem's. Watching over it and involvement with it. So, Ton Rabon and Eretz Yisrael Niv, right at the top of Yudamud Aleph 10a. Um, Ton Rabon and Eretz Yisrael Nivra Schila. Eretz Yisrael was created first for Cholo Elam Kula Nivra Lavasof. And the rest of the world was created afterwards. Shenemar, as it says, Adlah saw Eretz for Chutzos before he made the land and its outskirts. Eretz, or Eretz as a, as a specific, refers to Eretz Yisrael. Um, I think Tchila also means uh, precedence. Large reason for the creation of this world is that we live in Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael, Mashke Oisor, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Ba'atzmo V'chol Olam Kula, Al Yedei Sheliach. Hashem waters Eretz Yisrael himself and the rest of the world through a Sheliach. Shneemar, as it says, Hanoi Sein Motor Al Penei Eretz, V'sholeach Maim Al Penei Chutza, He puts rain on the land and He sends water to the outer lands. I'll come back to this point, but just one point on this is: Didn't we say right at the beginning of the Masechta that there are three keys that Hashem keeps and He never gives over any to a shaliach? And here we seem to be saying only Eretz Yisrael. So that's how they answer it. They say here only Eretz Yisrael is the key that He keeps for Himself that He doesn't give over to an agent. But the other, but other lands He does give over the rain and the watering to other to angels or constellations to uh, manage. So again, um, again, highlighting the distinct aspect um, of, Eretz, of Eretz Yisrael and its special connection to Hashem. Eretz Yisrael shoshem egoshomim v'cholo olam kula matmitz mitamtis. Eretz Yisrael gets the rainwater and the rest of the world gets the remnants of the rainwater. Shenemar, as it says, hanoitain, the same posuk, hanoitain motor al penei oretz, Etc. He gives the rain to Eretz Yisrael and the rest of the water is sent to the other lands. Eretz Yisrael gets the rain first and only later do the other do the other um, nations. Shenemar says Eretz etc. It's comparable to someone kneading cheese that he takes the food and he leaves the psoilas. They used to you, you make you get the milk solids and they would squeeze them together and then take it and leave the whey, the liquid. So that's the same thing here. Yeah, Israel takes the substantial part of the rain, and the rest of the world gets the remnants. Um, just a little bit on this. So again, interesting. We see again, Tanis, and this is the the part up to here. As I said, I don't understand it fully, but we've touched on it in the past. We see Tanis and this concept of the rain and Hashem supervising Bnei Israel, Eretz Israel, and the rain are one of the primary um, connections. It carries on. Um, It's, we saw rain and the earth is compared to a husband and a, and a wife. And here we say, see rain demonstrates Hashem's 
special involvement with Eretz Yisrael and we've seen elsewhere B'nai Yisrael. So we see that this is uh, one of the deep underlying themes here is the the uh, almost the covenant and the relationship between B'nai Yisrael and Hashem, the rain and the world and Hashem's uh, supervision of it. Another very interesting thing here, this um, we mentioned that Eretz Yisrael, Hashem, the rest of the world um, Eretz Yisrael, Hashem delivers its rain, whereas the rest of the world has messengers. And that is the very famous Rambam at the end of Parsha Sacharei Ramban, at the end of Parsha Sacharei Mos, where he speaks about the Hashkocha, that Hashem, a special Hashkocha of Eretz Yisrael. Hashem supervises Eretz Yisrael in a distinct and unique way. And that's why the Pasuk there he's going on is it says that Eretz Yisrael will spit out those who sin. The land and Hashem is extra close to Eretz Yisrael, so it can't tolerate sinners and it spits them out. And that's why the, the, Ram, the Ramban over there says that, very similar to Algamora, all other nations have a, other nations and countries have special angels over them and supervising them. Whereas Hashem, whereas Eretz Yisrael is directly supervised by Hashem. I know... Uh, um, my grandfather, he used to, uh, when he would go to Eretz Yisrael, all he wanted to do was sit in the hotel room and learn. He said in uh, Johannesburg, I spend a large part of my day learning. I come to Eretz Yisrael, the land of Hashem, the land where Hashem is closest, the land which Hashem watches more carefully. How can I do anything besides uh, sit and learn? So, I mean, I know that he'd, uh, he would go give shurim at different yeshivas and shuls and stuff, but he's the thing he did, he wasn't into touring and things like that because he felt it should, it was much more uh, special to sit and learn in Eretz Yisrael. And I know, uh, now my father's emphasized that a few times when we go there. We often think of Eretz Yisrael as going on a holiday, but we have to remember that Eretz Yisrael has direct hashkocha from Hashem. Hashem is watching Eretz Yisrael uh, much more carefully, and therefore we have to up our game uh, when we go to Eretz Yisrael. We have to do be more careful with how we behave and how we speak do more mitzvahs, learn more Torah, not just uh, treat it as a holiday. Um, so that's, uh, I think that ties into it. That's the, one of the fascinating things about the Rambam, the Ramban over there, is it's, I don't know if you've heard, there's a famous session where the Ramban seems to say that mitzvahs outside of Eretz Yisrael are of a totally different nature, almost as if they're kind of practice, and the real mitzvah is in Eretz Yisrael. So there he says, and he says, even tefillin and mezuzahs, putting on tefillin is not the same mitzvah outside of Eretz Yisrael and in Eretz Yisrael. The Vilna Gon argues over there, and he says that no, it's, it's, the, the, he got mixed up. I mean, the, the Ramban's quoting a midrash, he says the, it was a misprint. It's not supposed to say tefillin or mezuzah, it's supposed to say truma or masras. You know, sometimes when you write with acronyms in the Hebrew, it gets a bit mixed up. So that's what the gross has happened, but it's fascinating and an important thing to be aware of that the Ramban, Ramban held that there was a totally different nature in mitzvahs, any mitzvah, that you do outside of Eretz Yisrael and in Eretz Yisrael. Okay, let's carry on. Um, third wide line. It says, We said earlier that the waters are sweetened in the, in the clouds. Remember we had a Mahloikas yesterday, Rebeleza and Rebbe Yeshua. Rebeleza holds the waters, evaporates from the oceans and then into clouds and it rains from there. And Rebbe Yeshua holds, no, the waters, the, primar the primary rain comes from 
the upper waters that Hashem separated at the time of creation, the upper waters and the lower waters. Rabbi Leza holds us from the lower waters, and Rabbi Shua says it's from the upper waters. So Rabbi Shua said to Rabbi Leza, but if it comes from the oceans, aren't the oceans salty? So, so he said, no, the Eretz Yisrael, uh, the, the clouds sweeten it. Oh, minole, how does he know this? So to Omar Yitzchak, Omar Yitzchak, Omar Yitzchak, explain the name of Rabbi Yitzchak, Ksiv Cheshkas Mayim Aveishchokim, the dark clouds, um, so yeah, the darkness brings water from thick clouds. Uksiv Chashras, so not Cheshkas, but Chashras Mayim Aveishchokim, a totally different posuk, but they really seem to overlap. Um, a sieve of water from thick clouds. Shokel kafeshori aresh says, take the chof of chesh kas and add it to the resh of chashrash and the kori bay chash chach shoras. So add the chesh to the beginning of that word and you get chash And Rashi explains you don't read it, the ches, cheses and hays are interchangeables, you read it as hachshoras, preparation. So what is the so how would you read the Pasuk? The water is prepared in the thick clouds. And that's exactly this point that we're making. Is the is that the water is sweetened? Rabbi Yeshua, Bahani what does Rabbi Yeshua do with these Psukim? Again, Rabbi Laza uses the overlap of the Psukim to teach that. It prepares the water, it sweetens it. But according to Rabbi Shur, that's not necessary. So he says, no, lo, he held like when Rabdimi came, he taught Omar, he said, now based on the posuk of the dark, thick clouds, I'm mean, not discussing the other posuk, I'll tell you what we do with the other posuk, but discussing the dark, thick clouds. When Rabdimi came from Eretz Yisrael, he said, Omar by my robber, they say in the West, in Eretz Yisrael, Nohor anone zirin mohui. If the clouds are light, then it will be a light rain. Choshochanoni, if they have dark clouds, sagin mohui, it will be a very, there will be a lot of water. It will be a, a big rain. Um, so that's the one pasuk. Again, dark clouds bring, um, you know, the darkness pr- pr- almost produces the water. So that's how Rabbi Shulon said, oh, what does he do with the other pasuk of hashras mayim aveishchokim? So that he said, is Chashrash used not as a sieve? Again, the water, the clouds are like a sieve. He said not that they um, purify the water, but that they they sprinkle the water over the earth. It comes down in single drops. Then we say, The upper waters are there by the word of Hashem. And the produce of the upper war, the of the upper worlds, is rainwater. Shenemar, as it says, me prima secho from the work of your land. The earth is satiated. Command Rabbi Shua. That seems very much like Rabbi Shua. Again, that the rainwater is the produce of the upper waters. That's like Rabbi Shua. So it's very blessed. So how would Rabbi also explain that Possek? says, no, that Possek is actually speaking about the work of Hashem's hand, I that Hashem created it, that Hashem separated the upper waters and the lower waters and created the rain. A further teaching in regards to what we're saying above. All of the world is watered or drinks, gets water from the remnants of Gan Eden. 
Remember, it speaks about Gan Eden, and as we're going to see, the rivers flow from Gan Eden to the rest of the world. And a river went out from Eden. This is in Beratius, and it there speaks about how it splits into four rivers, and those are the rivers that provide for the world. And it's taught in a brisa from one base kur. You can water three tarkav. I basically a base kur is sixty times three kavim. A tarkav is three kavim. A base kur is sixty times three kav. So what would be necessary to all water Gan Eden, the little remnants of that, one sixtieth of it waters the rest of the world. And we're going to show now where we get that calculation from. Um, but interesting to bear in mind, it's a discussion in the commentaries whether Gan Eden is part of this world or separate part of this world, where Adam lived at first. Um, but just something to keep in the back of your mind, how you would understand this piece. As I said, I'm not too sure. I'm sure there's a deeper lesson in this, this piece of Gomorrah. I'm just not too sure what it is. But it says, Eretz Mitzrayim is 400 parsa by 400 parsa. That's the area of Eretz Yisrael. It's 160th the side of Kush. We generally translate Kush as Ethiopia, but it probably means the rest of Africa or something like that. And Kush is 160th of the rest of the world. And the Oilam is 160th of the garden. And the Gan is 160th of Aden. See, it sounds very much, if we say the whole world is 160th of Gan, Sounds like Gan Eden, Gan and Eden, which you're learning as two separate things here, is not part of the world. Unless you say it's got to do with the, it's 160, most of the undiscovered world is actually Gan Eden. And only 160th of the world that we're aware of is what is the, is the 160th. Well, the world that we are aware of is 160th of Gan Eden. Maybe you can learn like that. Comes out that the whole world is just like a potlet compared to Gehenim. Some say Gehenim is infinite. And some say Eden, that's the Eden, has no shear. And Omar Abishaya, my dear Sibra, Abishaya says, what does it mean the Possek when it says, Shulchenes al-Maim Rabim, Rabbas Oitzrois. He dwells on much water with abundant storehouses. It says, What causes Babel to have so much grain? Babel didn't have a lot of rain, but it had very successful crops. It says, It stays on lots of water. Omar Rav Atira Babel, the Chatzda below Mitra. Babel is wealthy even though it doesn't have rain. So Babel, your Babel is wealthy and you can reap in it. You, there's a lot of harvest without any rain. Om Rabbi Naktina Rabbi says we have a tradition, Tuve Vushni, rather dwell by swampy land than by dry land. These last few lines are emphasizing Babel was a low lying land. So a lot of water would gather kind of like a swamp. And that's why even though it didn't have a lot of rain, it had a lot of good produce because it was well-fertilized, well-watered land. Um, as I said, I'm not too clear what the Gomorrah is bringing out by this whole, um, once the world is 160th of uh, Aden and Aden of the Gan, Gan is 160th of Aden, that whole 
Mitzrayim is one sixtieth of Kush, etc. I'm not I'm not sure what it's bringing out from that, um, but just also interesting again. We it's part of the I think part impo- important to realize is we often think of drought and especially in Eretz Yisrael drought as a bad negative thing, but it's a flip side of this relationship with Hashem. If we good and do mitzvahs, we get rain and we'll have good produce. If we're um, doing Averas, sinning, not doing Chesed, etc., and the Averas that we've discussed um, a few days ago, then rain is stopped. So the rain, again, rain is it's very tied into our actual relationship to Hashem, is how much rain and how good the produce is. Whereas in a land like Bovel, it's. Uh, it, it, you can have a good produce without being a good person. It's not as connected to Hashem. And it, it might on the surface sound like a good thing. Oh, we always have a good produce. But on the other hand, it leaves it leads to a less meaningful and more almost, we can say, random life without a real special connection. And I was thinking it's similar to the idea they say Hashem, when the snake tricked uh, Adam and Chav into eating from the tree, so the snake was curse that it doesn't have to look for food it just eats from the dust of the earth so everyone asks but that's isn't that a brocha that it's foods readily available available wherever it is so the one answer given is that no that's a huge curse because it has no reason to connect to hashem people etc and jews you know if we have food or don't have food we know to dive into hashem the snake Never has to dive into Hashem. It's food to the dust of the earth. It's right there wherever it is. And therefore, it's actually a, a real curse. Is that it has no meaning and no connection to Hashem in its life. Okay, now we move on to, remember, the first Mishnah started with... Um, the first Mishnah was when do we mention rain? When do we say, And we touched on it, but now we're moving on to when do we ask for rain? That is in Birchas Hashon, in the Brocha, Borech Aleinu, Hashon Azos. In the rainy season, we say, the same Tal Umato Livrocha. So that's what we're referring to. It says, The Tanakhama says, we start asking for rain on the 3rd of Marcheshvan. And Ramon Gamil says, no, on the 7th of Marcheshvan. Which is 15 days after Sukkot, so that those who are, have the, the, the last ones in Eretz Israel can reach the Euphrates. And we want to give people who were at, in, in uh, Eretz Israel in Yerushalayim for Sukkot time to get home before there's too much rain, which will ruin the roads, and especially by the rivers like the Euphrates, it will get too uh, swollen to cross. So we want to give them some time to get home. So we give them 15 days from Sukkot. So it seems, strictly speaking, you should start a little bit earlier. But we want to give people, the Oile Regolim, those who went up for the festival, and those who stayed a bit later in Yerushalayim, time to get home. The Halacha is like Rabban Gamil, that we start on the 7th of Marches. So that's... Um, Yeah, and that's what they do in Eretz Yisrael. In Eretz Yisrael, you start asking for rain. You start the Saint Talmotor in Zayin Cheshvan on the 7th of Cheshvan. Very interestingly, in Chutzla Eretz, we'll see now, we don't start then. We wait till the 4th or 5th of December. But in Eretz Yisrael, they wait for Zayin, um, Zayin Cheshvan. Um, interesting question is, but shouldn't you only have to wait for Zayin Cheshvan in the... 
when there's a base amigdash, when there are people who go up to Yerushalayim, why do you have to wait till Zion Cheshvan um, when there's no uh, um, when there's no Oyle Regolim, there aren't people who go up to the base amigdash because there is no base amigdash. Okay, so that I forgot the answer to that question. Um, but we still, in Eretz Yisrael, they still wait for Zayn Mar to ask for rain. Then it says, Tanya Chananya, Oimer Chananya said, Uva Goyla, in, in Bavel, Ad Shishi Bet Kufa, until the 60th of the season. I 60 days from the equinox. It says, Omer Rav, Huna Bar Chia, Omer Shmur, Huna Bar said in the name of Shmuel, Halacha Chananya, the Halacha is like Chananya. Is that true? That Shmuel said this for her. Bomi name is Shmuel. My name was my Kiri in the Saint Talumoto. They asked Shmuel, when do you start saying the Saint Talumoto? So Amalahum, Ichim al Tzivilebe Tavos Rishba, when the Tavos, when the hunter, when Tavo, the hunter, would start to bring wood into the shed, I, because it's time for the rainy season, that's when you start saying the Saint Talumoto. So it doesn't sound like the same time as the 60th of the of the season, 60th day from the start of the season. So maybe they are the same time. Is the 60th day like before I that you don't say the same Talamotor? Or is it like the day after I that you do say um, the same Talamotor? So on the 16th day, on the, sorry, on the 60th day, do you say the same Talamotor? So Toshma Rav Omar Shishim Kala Achar Shishim, Ushmul Omar Shishim Kalifnei Shishim. Rav says the 60th day is like after the 60th day, i.e., you don't. And Shmuel says the 60th day is like, be, sorry, that Rav is like it's after that you do. And Shmuel says it's like before, i.e., you don't. Now, Omar Rav Nachman Yitzhak Vasimonech, there's a way to remember. How do you remember that Rav's the one who says you start saying the same Talamotor a day earlier? And Shmuel is the one that says you don't. So Omar of Nachma Yitzhak Bisamonech Iloi Boy Maya Tatolo Boy Maya. The way to remember this is that the upper lands require water and the lower lands do not require water. Rashi explains Rav lived in Eretz Yisrael and therefore he needed. Eretz Yisrael is a higher land, so the water runs off it, so it actually needs more water. So you, by the fact that Eretz Yisrael needs more water, reminds us that Rav says you start asking for rain a day earlier. Shmuel, who lived in Bovel, a low-lying land, does not have that same requirement, and therefore you would only need to ask one day later. Omar of Papa Yom Shishim Shishim, and the halach is like Rav that the Yom Shishim is like the day after the Kufa. So when is this? Yeah, now I just wanted to say. So we said, when do you start asking rain in Babel? 60th day from the Tkufa. What's the Tkufa? So the Tkufas are the equinox or the solstice. The equinox are the, when the days and the nights are equal. And the solstice is, the summer solstice is when the day is the longest. And the winter solstice is when the nights the longest. Um, sorry. Um, Yeah, the uh, the uh, yeah. So the the so you would count from the spring solstice. The sorry, the winter 
the winter equinox, 60 days, is what gives you the day when you start asking for rain in Babel. Now, there are two interesting things. When do we say the equinox is? It's around the 22nd or the 22nd of September. So when should we start davening for rain if you're going 60 days from the equinox? The 22nd of November. Why do we wait another 15 days till around the 4th or 5th of December? So that's a big discussion in the... Um, that's a, it's a complicated discussion. I've, I've seen a few articles on it. If you're interested, I can uh, send you um, uh, at least one of them, if not a few of them. Um, on, on, it's got to do with how we, the Torah calculates the calendar versus the Gregorian calendar. And therefore, things have slipped slightly out of line. So every, I don't know if it's every hundred years or so, it moves the day. And that's why... We're always, um, that's why slowly over a few centuries, it's switched to the 4th of December, which is actually more than um, 60 days after what we call the equinox. So almost there's a different equinox in reality when the day and the night are exactly 12 hours each, and there's a different halachic equinox. Um, okay, so that's the one point, the 4th and 5th of December. Um and then a second interesting point, and this the Rosh goes into at length, is it sound, where is it that you go after the 60th day from the equinox, the 60th day of the season? In Bavel, because that's when Bavel needs its rain. What about another country? What about South Africa? Or Johannesburg or Cape Town, they're different. When should you be asking rain then? When should you start saying the same Talumot so the Rosh goes, he has a long discussion on this uh, in his response. He just touches on it here in the back of the Gomorrah here. But he has a long discussion in his response. Huh? And he wants to say you should go after where you live. You look, when's the rainy season? When do you want the rain to start? So we should look in Johannesburg, ask the meteorologist, uh, the, weather, the weatherman, when it should start to rain, when we want the rainy season. And that's when we should start saying, we're saying Talamotor. This that we go after the 60th day, should only be limited to Bavel. But the Rosh does acknowledge that the widespread Minag is no matter what country you're in, as long as you're outside of Eretz Israel, for some reason we follow Bavel. He says again, the din of the Gomorrah sounds, he says, it's almost saying as if the Gomorrah is saying how, how the Minag is expressed is that the, when you start asking for rain, wherever you are outside of Eretz Israel, the 60th of 60 days from the equinox. But that shouldn't be the halach. That's not what the Gemara is saying. What the Gemara is saying is in Babel they start on the 60th day because that's when Babel needs rain. And each country should go after its own. And there were certain times where he actually, in his response, he says he wanted to change it. They needed rain, so he wanted to say, daven for rain when the country needs it and not based on the 60th day of the equinox. But for whatever reason, it seems to be accepted as almost halach or Moshe Misenai that we only start asking for rain from the 60th day of the equinox, even if your country or your province needs rain earlier. Um, but it does have a halachic ramification. If you do say the same Talumoto Livrocho and your country, even though it's not within the time frame that we normally ask for rain, but it's when your country needs rain, you don't have to repeat the Amida. Because maybe the 
um, the, Vilna, the Rosh is correct. Um, yeah. Interesting enough, there's a, apparently I heard um, that Rav Chaim Briska used to actually say the same Talumotor in, in, in Shmakolainu, which is more optional, when, I guess he lived in Lita, when Lithuania needed rain, even when it wasn't in the time frame from the 60th day of the Tkufa. Okay, so it was a, so it's an interesting halacha. Um, again, the two points. One is, how do, where do we get the 60 days from the Tkufa from? I sh- it sounds, the 4th or 5th of December is about 75, appro- approximately 75 days from the Tkufa. Then the second point is, is this not just Bovel? What about the rest of the world? They should start asking not 60 days from the Tkufa, but at whatever date that they need rain. Okay, let's go on to the next Mishnah. And the next Mishnah introduces what I'd say is the bulk of the Masechta. Now we start getting into Tanis. And how, do, how does this follow? Because one of the main reasons that they used to declare fast was if it, well, obviously for calamities in general, we'll see later, that if it didn't rain, if it didn't start to rain by the required date, they would start to get desperate and then they would start to have fast. So he says, I give you time to Mark Hedgevin. If, it, if the 17th of Cheshvan arrived and it did not yet start to rain, the Yechidim would start to daven, would start to keep three fasts. As we'll see, Yechidim are the special people of the generation. They were allowed to eat and drink at night, and they could wash themselves, anoint themselves, wear leather shoes, wear shoes, and do Tashmish Hamita, and do Malacha. It wasn't like Tisha B'Av Yom Kippur. It was like other fast days that only start in the morning and and don't have all these extra Isurim. It says, um, If the if Rosh Chodesh Kislev arrived and it still hadn't rained, based in Gozrim Shloshetanios Alatzibur, based in would decree three fasts on the community. And again, these were light fasts. They could eat and drink while it was night. And they were allowed to do Melocha, wash themselves of a Sicha, anoint themselves in the Ilas Asandal. Where shoes the Tash Mishamita and intimacy. So, um, so what are we, um, what are we um, saying? Oh, yeah. So again, if Yud Zayin B'Marchejvan already, the date that you would hope rain had come by had passed, then Yechidim would start to fast. If Yerosh Chodesh Kislev would come and it had not yet started to rain, then everyone would start to fast. Again, but these were all, as we see, light fasts. They only daytime fast. They don't start the night before like Tisha B'Av. They only start in the morning. And all the Isurim of the stringencies of fasts like Tisha B'Av and Yom Kippur do not apply. Who are the Yechidim? So, Rav Huna, Rav Huna says, the Rav Bonan. Um, sages, the rabbis of the community. Um, interestingly enough, the Orch HaShulchan brings this from here, that Yechidim, Rabbis have to be individuals. Some, they have to be prepared to call the shot as it is. Sometimes you have to, as a rabbi, you have to go against popular opinion. Sometimes you can't just follow what everyone says. You have to say what you think is correct. 
Um, but that's that's why Rabbanon are called Yechidim uh, individuals. But Abba Ravuna Yechidim Misanim Shloisha Taniyos Shani Vechamishi Vesheni. Ravuna says that the Yechidim fast three fasts: Monday, Thursday, Monday. Now we're going to see all the fasts that they would do would be on Monday, Thursday, Monday. Why those days? So interestingly enough, why, why, and this I'm sure you've heard of this before, that when you want to fast, the most opportune days of the week are Monday and Thursday. Why? So those are the days that Moshe went up Har Sinai and came down Har Sinai. So they're days of, they're days of Ace Ratzon, of, of goodwill. It says, My Kamash Malan, what's he coming to teach us? Tanina, we already know this. We say you don't start fasting on a Thursday because you're going to mess up with the market prices. The first three fasts are always Monday, Thursday, Monday. So again, what's Rav Huna coming to teach us? What? That you fast three fasts? We know that from the Mishnah. Is he coming to teach us that you start on a Monday, so you go Monday, Thursday, Monday, as opposed to Thursday, Monday, Thursday? We already know that from this other Mishnah that you start, because you mess up market prices. How does it mess up the market prices? Because if... If they see that people are starting to bar, um, let's see, he says, You would have thought that's only when the whole community is fasting. But when it's just individuals, maybe you can start on a Thursday. Kamash Malani comes to teach us that no, even if it's just individuals fasting, you always start on a Monday. The reason is because, remember, if they're going to bar food for Motsay for the after Thursday, I would, we would call Thursday night, and extra food for Friday night because it's Shabbos. Then what's going to happen? You're going to have a whole lot of people coming into the market on a Thursday and buying double the amount of food that they normally buy. Everyone's going to start to panic. Maybe there's a famine or something like that. What do they know that I don't know that they're buying all this food? And therefore, they'll up the prices. So to prevent that, you start the fasting on Monday. And then people will hear and make sure, would definitely have heard, oh, they fasted on Monday and now they're fasting on Thursday. And that's why they're buying double the food and they will know. Which you might not have thought applies when it's just the rabbis who are the only ones fasting because there's not enough people to affect it. But it says, no, still, you only start these fasts on a Monday. Tanya Nami we have a price which teaches the same thing. When the... Yechidim begin to fast. They start fasting on the Monday and the Thursday and the Monday. Umafsikin barosh kadoshim uveyomim tovim hatsuvim b'megilas tanis. And they stop. They don't fast on Rosh Chodesh or special days written in Megillas tanis. Remember, Megillas tanis we mentioned is a scroll with a list of dates that are semi yomtas like Hanukkah and Purim, etc. And those dates we saw about. We saw this in Rosh Hashanah. Those dates. Um, you're not allowed to fast on. So if a, um, a series of fasts were, de- were declared, but one of those Mondays or Thursdays were either Rosh Chodesh or another Yom Tov from Megillus Tanis, then you would not fast. Okay. New point following on from the theme of the Yechidim of the Rabbonin. It says, Ton Rabbonin, Al Yomer Adam, Talmud Ani, Eini Rolios, a person shouldn't say, you know, I'm just a student. I'm not a rabbi. Therefore, I'm not going to be a yochid. I'm not going to fast. All scholars are considered yochidim. So what's the yochid? What is a yochid and what is a talmud? Yochid, one of these rabbonon or anyone who's 
worthy, fitting, he's quali- qualified to be appointed as a leader of the community. And a Talmud calls Sheshalem also Dvar Alocha Bilimud of Oimer. And a Talmud is someone who, if you ask him a question in what he's learning, he can answer. He's not a widespread expert, but at the topic he's studying, he's learned it sufficiently that he would be considered uh, proficient in that area. Even if it's just a small topic, not a major topic. So that's the difference between a Talmud and a Yochid. But we do see a Talmud regarding this can act like a yachid. It says, The rabbi said, not anyone who wants to act like a yachid, act like the rabbonin can. Or Talmud Oise, or anyone who wants to take upon themselves the mantle as being a young scholar, is allowed to. do very That's Rabbi Meir's opinion. I, what would be the problem? Why can't you say, I want to be like the rabbis, or I want to be like the students? So this, it's because it's arrogant. We found throughout the Gomorrah they were very careful for people to act in a station above theirs because it's arrogant. It seems also in those days there were not only was there, we're going to see obviously here, and this is what we're going to bring out, here it's to their detriment, it's fasting. So we're going to be, we, as we're going to see, people, opinions are more lenient, but there are other perks. They got to wear special clothes, <coughs> they got uh, um, certain honors etc. So those things would be stricter because that brings about arrogance and that's jumping your station. But again, so Rabbi Meir says, if you want to make yourself a Yochid, you can't. And if you want to make yourself a Talmud and you're not even a Talmud, you're not allowed to. Rabbi Yossi says, no, he is allowed to because this isn't advantageous to him. This isn't beneficial to him. This is a tsar. What's he doing here? This person by saying, I know I'm only a Talmud, but I'm going to act like a Yochid. It's too fast. So you know what? Someone wants too fast. Zohar Latov, well done. That's not taking on advantages of being it. So therefore it's fine. Tanya Idich, another Bryce says, "Look, all right, tell us as Yochid Oise, Talmud Oise, Divrei Rabbi Shimon Ben Elazar. Rabbi Shimon Ben Elazar says, not everyone who wants to make himself a Yochid can, or wants to make himself a Talmud can. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, I remember Med Varim Amorim, but Davos Shol Shevach. Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel explained when is this, with where it's to his advantage. Avo Bedover she sar, but something that is afflicting himself, like here, too fast." He can do it, and it's uh, and well done. He should be remembered for the good, because it's not a praise for him. It's not an advantage. It's a tsar. You know. So, so the difference would be, let's say they have a special. I don't know. They have a special queue for the tamirei chachomim, or special seats for the tamirei chachomim. So there, it's inappropriate for someone to say, "No, I think I'm a talmud chacham. I'm going to sit there." But here, where it's too fast, that's not an, an advantage. So therefore, he should, it's fine if he acts, he takes upon himself the mantle of being a Talmud Chacham and fast. Someone was fasting for a calamity, for trouble, and it passed. For a sick person, and he healed. And Rashi adds, or they died. He must finish fasting. Um, Rashi explains, very interesting, because you create the wrong vision. If let's say someone's in the middle of the day, they fasted, and the sick person they were fasting for recovers. Or they were for some other calamity and in the middle of their fasted things. If they stop fasting, it's as if they said to Hashem, I'll fast on condition 
the situation is not resolved because as soon as it's resolved he stops fasting so interesting so so that's why you should if you've started fasting for a calamity you must finish your fast if you travel from a place where they are not fasting to a city where they are fasting there's a calamity in one city so they and they're fasting and you travel to their place you must fast with them and if you travel from a place where they're fasting to a place where they are not fasting you must complete your fast so what happens if everyone's fasting and you forgot or you didn't realize it was a fast day so you ate and drank you should not appear before the community and don't continue to enjoy it as it says Yaakov said to his sons why do you try don't appear before the other nations and what does it mean? So Amalem Yaakov Levonov, Yaakov said to his sons, Al tiru atzmechem kashatem seveyim, don't appear before the nations satiated, lo yibifna Esav, lo yibifna Yishmol, neither before Esav or Yishmol, kadei shalo yizkanu bochem, so that they don't get jealous of you. So what was happening? At the time of the famine in the world, remember when everyone was traveling to Egypt to get food, Yaakov and his sons were a rat. But Yaakov told his sons, don't act like you're alright, act like the rest of the people. And that's an important thing. If someone accidentally eats on a fast day, or for whatever reason they're not fasting, they shouldn't go around in public when everyone else is struggling and in pain, and they're all relaxed and calm because they've eaten. Because um, it makes other people jealous. It's uh, inappropriate behavior. Um, not only that, and then further, once you have eaten, once the fast is broken, we don't say, oh, it's broken, now you can eat what you want. Still, as soon as you realize that everyone's fasting and everyone's suffering, well, then you should withhold yourself from the additional pleasures. I'm sure you've heard that idea that even if you're breaking your fast, let's say you need to eat for medication or you're not well or something like that, you still shouldn't um, indulge yourself in uh, in treats and stuff like that but have um, basic food so that would be to again to try fit in with the community we'll see more about that coming up in the Masechta then another so the, so we we mentioned rebuke Yaakov gave his sons he said don't appear before the other nations satiated when they're all suffering in famine so another rebuke that they got he says Yosef told his brothers don't become agitated on the desert so what in, on the on the journey he says what does that mean so Omar Ibn Lazar Omar Lahim Yosef Yosef said to his brothers don't get involved in a halachic discussion because you will become distracted is that true? But Rabbi Eli taught that if you have two Tamilei Chachomim who are traveling and they're not discussing Torah, they deserve to be burnt. As it says, Eliyahu and Elisha were walking and talking. A fiery chariot and horses separated between them. Now in plans, time at Ikadibur, the reason is because they were speaking Torah. But if not for the fact that they were speaking in Torah, they should have been burned. It says, why did it say they were walking and talking and then the chariot split them, the fire chariot separated them? It's irrelevant. Just tell us that they were there and the chariot split. No, it wants to emphasize that it's because they were talking that the fire separated them and didn't burn them. Because Tamilei Chachomim have to learn when they're traveling. So which one is it? Should we? Is it that 
they should not learn because they'll become distracted? Or is it that we see if they don't learn, they're deserving of being burnt? So it's, Here is where you're just doing Chazara and here, or just going over it superficially, or here is where you're going into it. If you're examining the topic and you're analyzing it, then you're going to get distracted. But if you're just having a light discussion or reviewing material, well, that would be fine. That's what you must do on your journey. Very interesting. Tosfos here bring to Midrash. The first one, he says, here it says, um, which would fit in with the better one. But we said, Yosef told his brothers, don't get distracted on the journey. Don't learn on the journey. So Tosfos bring a Midrash that says the opposite. When he says, Al Targizu, he says the Midrash is, don't stop learning. Okay, let's just do a few more lines. The man is a tan in a price that we learned. Al don't take large steps. And always enter the city while it's still light. You should never take extra large steps because large steps cause your eyes to dim. They take one five hundredth of your eye. Kedarav Yehuda. What does it mean going to the city with the sun? This is like Rav Yehuda. Omar Rav in the name of Rav. To Omar Rav Yehuda. Omar Rav. La Oilam Yetz Adam Bekitov. The Kones Bekitov. A person should always leave Bekitov and enter Bekitov. What's the Kitov? So Rashi brings the pasuk says in Bereishis, Ve'yar Elokim Esa Or Kitov. Hashem saw the light and it was good. So it's a youth. It's a way of saying a person should go into this. The city should leave for his journey when it is light. And he should go in, make sure to camp, to to set, to go into the city before it's dark. Shneemar is the possible says, When it became light, that's when Yosef sent the men on. Um, so that is, um, so this is, um, Yosef's advice is he was telling his brothers that when you're traveling, make sure to wait for its light to leave and make sure to reach your destination or reach the next city while it's still light. Rashi says it's all got to do with logic. He says if you're traveling while it's dark, you're going to, you might fall into potholes or things like that. Um, he says people, if you arrive at a city when it's night, people are going to suspect you're being a thief or a spy or something like that. So that's... Um, Rashi's explanation. Interesting, you can ask on us, oh, nowadays we're not so careful to not travel at night. So I think the simple answer, not saying whether you should or shouldn't be careful at night, but a simple answer to justify this that people travel at night would be we have lights and we have roads with lights. So you don't have these concerns of uh, dangers of the dark as much. But uh, it's something to be aware that the Gomorrah seems to say that you should not travel at night. Okay, we'll leave it there for today.